Hi, Cassie. Absolutely. I'm ecstatic to meet you. I've heard <laughs> actually not that much about you, but you seem very impressive from the few things that I have heard. Well, maybe that's good. Maybe it's one of those, like, if you're not hearing a lot about that person, maybe it's like a good thing. You no know? news is good news. Absolutely. No complaints. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, congratulations. I heard you recently had your PhD. That is amazing. It was actually a point of discussion on the show. Oh, was it really? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's like a very weird time to be finishing a PhD. Like everything happened like virtually, like I haven't been yeah. into lab in we, like We've been over months. this. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. You guys already covered this on the show. I'm rehashing old topics. So sorry, guys. <laughs> I mean, I guess Ben could like fill me in on the synopsis you guys have already covered so I don't repeat anything, you know? <laughs> well, but we did specifically go into like the remote defense. Yeah. Which is pretty fascinating and bizarre, right? Very bizarre. Uh, kind of nice in a way because so many people from all over who normally wouldn't be able to come were able to tune in. Um, like there were like almost 50 people there. It was a lot of people. Oh, wow. And one more time, Ben has told me, but what what is your uh, degree in? Yeah, so I just did my PhD in clinical psychology. Clinical psychology, super cool. We need more people doing that. <laughs> I was just gonna ask how, how have your last couple weeks been? I've been going to protest as often as I can. Awesome. Been dragging people out to them as often as I can. Like I'll get, every other day someone will call me and be like, hey, so-and-so is interested in protesting, but they don't really know what to do. And I'm like, oh, well, there's nothing really to know, but I'll take them to their first one if they want. Uh, made some connections, but some of them are difficult because I'm a Luddite and I don't have any social media. So they're like, check out this Facebook page. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. But, uh, Okay, I don't want to bury the lead. Uh, we had talked about uh, the peas. Yeah, this is the, the pee pee pod, pee pod update. You're holding a handful of pee pods right now. What a wonderful visual medium podcasts are. <laughs> so like as an outsider, <laughs> um, <laughs> I must say I'm, I'm a bit like curious about the, the pee pods seem very significant. You know, like very important, more important than your average peapod, I would even say. Did you grow these yourself? I did. Wow. When quarantine started, my uh, project was to start a anarchy garden. Uh, and it has <laughs> been pretty well so far. The potatoes were a complete failure, which was heartbreaking. But the peas have, uh, have grown to about six feet and they've started flowering, which makes the pea pods. And uh, we've been able to use them in some dishes already and uh, uh, eat them by hand. They're fantastic. That's amazing. Here, here's the question. Are you a self-identifying member of the Antifa terrorist organization? Well, <laughs> my dad likes to say that uh, on the beaches of Normandy, thousands of Antifa stormed that. I was like, that is, yeah, they're fighting yeah. fascists. That makes them Antifa. <laughs> So the, so the peas are doing quite well, and uh, the rest of the garden is okay. So, yeah, pretty good progress report. Um, okay, are you excited about Neon Genesis? What's your, what's your relationship with Neon Genesis, Cassie? Okay, so I would say my entire history with Neon Genesis all began about two months ago when... 
Ben and Alex started doing this very podcast. <laughs> and Ben was like, look, we're rewatching the show, Neon Genesis. Have you ever seen it? And I was like, no. And then he was like, do you want to? And I was like, sure. So now I've been like watching these episodes along inconsistently. I haven't been on, but I'm up to date now. You know, I'm working my way through. And so watching as you guys like do each episode each week, which is pretty fun. It's fascinating. It's a good show. I don't know much about anime. So this is also one of my early exposures to kind of anime more broadly too. Did you watch Pokemon and or Sailor Moon growing up? I did watch Sailor Moon growing up. And I was very into Sailor Moon. All right. So far, has anything interesting stuck out to you psychologically? Oh, for sure. Definitely. Actually, I lied a second ago unintentionally. <laughs> I do have a little bit more of a history with Neon Genesis other than just starting to watch it two months ago. Ooh. So I teach this um, child psychopathology class at Emory. And um, the big term paper that the students have to do at the end of the semester is to pick a fictional character and to diagnose that character with some kind of psychological disorder. And one of my students two years ago wrote about Neon Genesis and then diagnosed Shinji with depression. And I was like, and it just clicked as I was watching the show. And I was like, this seems very familiar to me. I wonder why that is. And then (laughs) I was like, oh. So several things have stuck out to me that I find interesting psychologically that we can get into more. Can can you get back in touch with that student? Yeah. We need to get them on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'll see what I can do. (laughs) uh, I just want to like frighten them and confuse them. I don't know. That's gorilla podcasting. Confuse my previous student. (laughs) I'd be like, what did I get myself into? (laughs) Once you take a class from Cassie, you're in for life. I know, right? You can never leave. (laughs) The assignments are ongoing. You want to intro things? Okay. Uh, Last time on My Neighbor Ayanami. Fresh from recovery, Ray Ayanami is ready for a comeback. But though her heart is in it, Ava Unit 00 goes berserk at the sight of Gendo and tries to be King Kong to his fey Ray. Gendo burns his hands and breaks his glasses while rescuing Ray from the emergency ejection. Ritsuko and Misato discuss Ray, tease Shinji, study Shamshel, and still won't tell us what Marduk is. Ray has no friends at school and seems uninterested in acquiring any. Penpen allows his followers to prepare a meal for the household. Ritsuko sends Shinji on a plot line to creep on Ray, which he does. Ray gives Shinji's face a much-deserved slapping and decides to keep Gendo's glasses with her always. Ava-01 launches to confront Ramael, but before he can even get a glance, Shinji is shot with a particle beam in the chest, producing an alarming yet satisfying, ah! Is that it? Yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) So now we're gonna watch episode six, Showdown in Tokyo 3. As the fifth angel drills towards Nerve, Misato leads Operation Yashima. All of Japan's power will be diverted to take out Ramiel with a positron rifle. You gotta figure out why it's called Operation Yashima. Not gonna sing this time? Maybe you should sing that. We should all sing. We should have the, like, you know, the lyrics and like a sing-along ball. Maybe I can figure yeah, it out. Yeah, it's karaoke style. Fantastic. Amazing. So much drama, 
so many exciting things happened this episode. Yeah, it was a good episode to jump in on. It's not, uh, uh, I actually have really liked the slower, the filler episodes because Mm -hmm. they're so, I don't know, it just takes the time to be with these characters. But yeah, this one is definitely a cool one to jump in on. Yeah, I do think one of the things I like about this show is that they devote a lot of time to like character building within it. And of course, like I'm biased being in psychology, but I really like that. And I think they do a nice job of painting how different characters perceive and see the world and highlighting both their strengths and areas of like weakness for them. And I think it's just a very realistic portrayal of humans, which I like. I agree with you completely. Yeah. Because uh, there's like, I, I don't know, like uh, one of the big things, the differences, because we watched this when we were younger, um, I was much more into the mechs then, which is cool. Like the combat, the animation is wonderful, but without those human stakes, it doesn't mean anything. It's just, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just fanfare. It's just some stupid fantasy about, you're not learning anything about humanity. You're just like, oh, what if I was the pilot of that mech? Which is <laughs> a childish, even infantile, uh, I don't know, thing to want to do. But I think that that's part of what probably makes this show so appealing to so many different audiences, right? Kids like it because it's got cool fighting robots, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, there's a lot of gratuitous uh, female sexualization, Mm -hmm. you know, also appealing to teenage boys. Yeah. And like, as you like get older too, there's a lot of nuance that's also embedded within the show and character development. So it appeals to the adults too. And yeah, there was naked Shinji this time. That's true. Yeah, something I did, for everyone. I did point that out to Ben. I was like, well, at least this time it's a little bit more even. They've got, you know, sexualization of the boys Shinji, and the girls. <laughs> you've seen more naked Shinji than any other character. You know, I'm I'm not into the uh, the oversexualization like you uh, pointed out, uh, like I was when I was younger. Now it's kind of appalling to me, but um, especially yeah. considering the age of the characters because but they were like 14. Yeah, they right? chose to make these characters 14. They could have been 18. They could have been 20. And I think that choice was a really common one in anime because it's trying to um, relate to young people, but also to highlight this child soldier theme that's in a lot of mech anime, especially. Mm-hmm. But making that choice, yeah, they didn't really like think ahead about the, yeah. Yeah, or they did, you know, but I think that's probably true. (laughs) That's definitely a possibility. I was curious about the thoughts that you guys have about the age of these pilots also. So I had a new thought. This is something that I've asked Ben multiple times. We're like, why do they have to be 14? Like, what is the deal? Do they ever tell us? And he's been very mysterious about it and has not given away any spoilers. Um, I don't actually know, but I have a new hypothesis that I just developed while watching this episode the second time just now. Oh my gosh, I would love to hear that. And then I can tell you something that's not spoilery. Uh, It's definitely not a spoiler because I don't remember if this does key into it, but it's something that I can just point out about their age. So please go ahead. Okay, so my hypothesis, so the way you pilot these EVAs, it's like through some kind of like neural synchronization, right? And so the two times in your life when you have the highest brain plasticity are like when you're a baby, obviously a baby can't pilot a fighting robot. They like can't even consistently like grab things that they're reaching for. Or when you are just starting like puberty and you're like in your teenage years. So there's a like other point of neuroplasticity and malleability that your brain goes through in adolescence specifically. And so I was wondering, is there something about this like heightened malleability that allows for the synchronization to happen 
That is brilliant. Wow. I don't know if that's part of it, but that is a, that's the best reason I've ever heard. Like it is this, uh, a real world reason for it. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Thank you for coming on. (laughs) So the only thing that I was going to say is that their age corresponds to the second impact, uh, this mysterious cataclysmic event that was uh, in the year 2000, right? Now it's 2015. So each of the pilots was born after, or maybe not after, or maybe right before. Anyways, they're all born right around the second impact. Um, So thematically, that's the reason, but oh my gosh, you are brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, so we start off with a little bit of a recap, which I don't think it's ever like done that before, right? Um, Because I guess we're in the middle of the drama at the end of the last episode. Shinji had just gotten shot in the chest. So we kind of see that in the recap and then and then that is the end of the battle we go straight from that <laughs> to him uh waking up in a hospital again after he uh gives out that shriek that uh that voice actress by the way i don't think we mentioned this but shinji is played by a a woman so it's kind of in that bart simpson model of uh females playing uh, adolescent boys. Which I think is is a really long-standing tradition that goes back further than voice acting goes into the theater. Like Peter Pan is traditionally played by a woman. And it, it's one thing that I'm super in favor of because casting all often goes so far the other way. It's nice to have these little traditions that at least perform some justice to the art form. Mm-hmm. Pamela Adlon as uh, Bobby from King of the Hill is also one of my Oh my God. Yeah. When I discovered her as uh, a live action actress and like comedian, uh, or maybe, maybe she doesn't do any com- or like stand up comedy. But um, yeah, when I looked back at her resume, I was like, oh my God, she's like a prolific voice actor. <laughs> she was Bobby. She was uh, uh, Rusty in Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. Like, yeah, she's all over the place. Yeah. So then Shinji, so he kind of wakes up in the hospital. It's, it's a lot like episode two, you know, the cicadas playing. We've got that washed out white light. Um, and I guess Ray is also kind of moonlighting as a nurse. So she like <laughs> rolls in some little thing and, and has a conversation with him. Just bizarre. Um, you'd think they would have other employees, but nope, Ray just about does everything. Thank God for Ray, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, they, so Nerve does two plans to test Ramael. They use an inflatable Ava balloon, which had like a title card on it. And I really wish it did not because it would have been really funny, I think, for it to deflate after it gets shot, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so then uh, Ramael just parks itself above uh, Nerve HQ and starts drilling into the uh, the geo front, I think is what they called that area the HQ resides in with all the trees underneath Tokyo 3. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so at this point, Ben and I also discussed, we had, like, a question about this. Well, I have a question. So uh, there's this dude who, like, raises this uh, idea. He's like, I don't know, there's nothing we can do. Should we just, like, raise a white flag and, like, surrender? What is the deal with these angels? Are they even, like, are they, like, sentient creatures? Are they these aliens? Are they robots created by aliens? Would they even respond to a surrender? Am I just overanalyzing something that was said in passing? No, that's an awesome idea. Like, and a lot of uh, uh, problems in modern society are not a lack of force or a lack of supplies. It is a lack of imagination. Like, yeah, maybe that would work. Maybe they could be like, hey, 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 we actually don't want to fight. Can we talk about this? And, you know, there's like language barriers or at that point there's consciousness barriers because who knows about an angel's psychology. They're definitely alive. And you bring up something awesome because the first angel that they, in the first episode that uh, attacks 
Tokyo, it actually goes to Tokyo too and is just like looking around and the UN forces attack it first. It does not retaliate. It does not crush a building. It doesn't so much as do that until it gets attacked. And then it it doesn't uh, go towards the population center of Tokyo 3 until it gets nuked. So it's like, oh, they have the capability to hurt me. You know, if you saw some ants around you, you'd be like, okay, the ants are doing their thing. But if they started biting you and it really hurt, you'd be like, oh, get these ants off of me. Yeah, and I guess it's kind of, it is interesting to compare something like conventional warfare or something where surrendering would always be an option, but kind of with this like inhuman force, and we've talked about how it could be metaphor for climate change or, or kind of other things mm. like that. And the idea that like, uh, you can't like surrender, you can't just stop whether mm. you want to continue or not. These things will just kind of continue. Mm. Like at this point, this threat is already here, right? Or the damage you've done has already been done. You can't yeah. undo. So I don't know if that person is just supposed to be kind of like an idiot or if they're being <laughs> like sarcastic or what, but like, it's, right? It doesn't seem like these are things that you can just surrender to. Maybe... This thing is going specifically for nerve. Maybe there's something mm. that it is going for that they could surrender to it. Oh, there's something in Nerve HQ that they can that it can detect. Yeah, that's true because they're all drawn there for some reason or another. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay, so the it's drilling, and then somebody c- comes up with the idea of raising a white flag and surrendering, but Masato will have none of it. Masato has a plan, <laughs> a plan with an 8% chance of victory, at least that's what they calculate, and it is to use an experimental positron rifle in order to penetrate the really strong AT field of Rommel at a distance. Okay, so... <laughs> I realize this might be an unpopular opinion. I'm not saying that like they did the wrong thing, but I will say as a scientist, if I had this really expensive prototype and it was the only one of its kind and like some government agent just came bursting in was like, yo, we're taking your prototype. We'll like try to return it in one piece, but who knows? Not going to tell you what it's for. See ya. Dude, I'd be pissed. You know? You, you wouldn't be happy that the research that you were doing could potentially save the world and many people's lives? Okay, well, I mean, I guess that's good, but then if it does work, right, that's the only one. So then what if someone didn't keep good lab notebooks? What if it takes years to build another one, right? Then we won't have any anymore. Um, I think they need to use it, but they don't spend a lot of time asking. In fact, she doesn't really ask them at all. She's just like, okay. I know. She's like, thanks so much for agreeing. And they're like, uh, uh. <laughs> I think they should have at least like brought those people in when they're making the calculations and stuff, you know? Like these people yeah. probably know better than anyone. That's yeah, true. I think that's true. They should have just involved the scientists like a little bit more, you know? I mean, I agree. They needed to use it, right? But the other thing that I had about this is like, okay, so protecting nerve headquarters, right? Is this really about saving the world? Like, will this really save people's lives? Or is it just like some organization that's like, oh, we like really don't want to rebuild things. So we really don't want this drill to go through into our headquarters, right? Like, is it just about protecting the organization? Or is this actually, is this organization actually integral to saving the world and people's lives? Well, at least the powers that be believe so. The UN, the, this shadowy cadre that is seemingly calling the shots, giving Gendo the okays on these things, uh, which I think represents the UN Security Council, they have deemed this our last best hope. Yeah. Um, But not everyone has, as we'll see in the next episode, we saw in that spoiler, another company is going to make a giant robot. All right, I'm excited for this. So these announcements go out across Japan. 
you know, they're announcing it on TV, on big screens in public places, there are helicopters going around. Angel is unfazed by all of these things. <laughs> yeah, it's just drilling away. Uh, yeah. Just sits, drills into the ground. So they're going to cut uh, power to not just the city, the entire country. Which is wild. A <laughs> yeah. whole country. It's pretty cool that they can get that organized. Yeah, state. America, absolutely not. That would not happen. <laughs> Never happen. <laughs> This is why Japan has had like, you know, a thousand COVID deaths or something like that. And we've had like 200 times as many. Uh, so all the sections of Nerve and the whole populace seemingly is putting forth their best efforts to pull off uh, Operation Yashima, which I looked up real quick. And it is like so many other things in this series. It is the name of a uh, Japanese battleship. So, so I was also looking this up. And... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it might be there. So there's this battle called the Battle of Yashima. So evidently there's this story that's a little bit like the Japanese Iliad hmm. called like the Heiki Murugatari. So the story of the Heiki. And it's about this one like um, samurai clan getting destroyed. And so in this Battle of Yashima, this like ship puts this like fan up at the top of their ship and they like dare the other army. Like we bet you can't hit this fan with an arrow. And then this one dude like gallops out off into the ocean and like takes a single shot at this fan that's like super far away and on this like rocking boat. But he like hits it in his first shot. So I feel like maybe it's like a similar thing where it's like this like risky sniper shot. You cracked the code, you solved the mystery. <laughs> I thought it was just cool that I knew it was a battleship. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the battleship is also named after this story or something. So uh, Shinji's still in his hospital room, but Ray visits him, right? And uh, gives him a new plug suit. And Ray gets to see Shinji basically naked. So at least we discussed that. At least it evened it out a little bit. Although Ray does not uh, uh, physically assault uh, Shinji. So they're still not even. That's true. There's no groping involved. <laughs> Unintentional group. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Unintentional <laughs> yeah. anime group. <laughs> yeah, it's very weird to have Ray bring Shinji food. And so I'm wondering if Gendo sent her or like maybe it's Ritsuko. Because Ritsuko gave him the, the pass to give to her. Ritsuko is very like, maybe you should talk to Ray. Uh, that's not what the boys sound <laughs> no, like at all. <laughs> yeah, so then the boys, we all see them outside. So Toji has hacked into his father's top secret account to figure out where this battle is going to be. So they can just like hang out and watch it because that worked out really well the last time they did this. Clearly learned their lesson. Mm. So do you think Kensuke is actually like into hacking or does he just know his dad's password? Yeah, the translation was hacked. My okay, dad. all right. Like, I don't know. But this does, I don't know. I feel like this is the kind of thing that like a teenage boy would just like find his dad's password written on a piece of paper in a drawer and being like, oh yeah, I like hacked into my dad's account. <laughs> right, you like know? I'm hacking into the mainframe, we're in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the Ava set down the cannon. There's this long line of like trucks that are like um, supplying the power up to it. Shinji's afraid of dying. Ray tells him he doesn't need to worry because she's going to protect him. And she's very, like, matter-of-fact about it. She's just like, why are you afraid of dying? You're not going to die. I'm protecting you. Ray is so awesome. It's true. She, she really trusts the system. She believes in Gendo. You know, mm -hmm. she slaps Shinji for not believing in it. Yeah, I think she just sees things in maybe black and white terms. She doesn't seem confused about a whole lot of things. And she's very focused on whatever her goal is at that moment because... There is no gray. Like, the other things don't matter. Mm -hmm. it, there is something, I'm, I'm just thinking now, you know, I, I feel like Shinji is this person who's, like, very vulnerable to his own emotions, right? Mm -hmm. Like, 
he could just get like nervous and like fuck things up, right? Because he's he's just like afraid and stuff. But maybe like Ray is this weird person that's just like, no, I can like do this. I'm not worried about being afraid and like messing this up. Like I'll just do it because like I'll be there and I'll do it. And yet they want Shinji in the in the Ava one taking the shot. Well, yeah. So so what I just said, that's like kind of how she acts and how it seems. But then like. Her thing had just failed last episode because she was like emotionally all over the map, right? The scientists were confused about it too. They're like, Ray's the one who's like emotionally like all over the map because she seems so calm. And then Shinji is actually like more synchronized with his machine, even though he has kind of more volatile emotions, right? Just a quick aside, um, that scene where the uh, unit OO goes berserk and almost kills Gendo, um, it's really reminiscent of the scene from a Soviet film called Solaris. Uh, where the main character of that film goes to an alien planet that is somehow conscious, and the consciousness manifests a physical manifestation of his memory of his dead wife. And one of the things that it does is he leaves his, you know, construct wife in their room that they're now sharing. And when she loses sight of him, she freaks out and busts down a steel door. And in doing so, tears her arms apart and like the construct dies. But like not, it's not, or I don't know if it's specifically referencing that, but it's very, very similar in that she can't see Gendo and she needs, or if, if the Ava is doing what she wants, even subconsciously, then like it needs to get to Gendo. Like Mm -hmm. it can't have these separations between the two of them. And then the next time, because she has this talisman of his, it it calms her down and lets her do the sequence. But anyways, Hmm. Great movie, very long. So Shinji, okay, so they do the thing. They fire the cannon, right? But Ramel is uh, already sees it coming. Uh, fires back and the two shots snake around each other, which is a really beautiful animation. Uh, yeah. And then they hit like either, or behind either target and there's big eruptions and Shinji is freaking out. Oh, and a, another weird thing. So the, all the displays within the, um, uh, within the plug cockpit, uh, like you said, it's some sort of a neural interface, right? So yeah. all the displays are not really screens. They're like being fed into the pilot's consciousness, but it has a physical targeting system. And I don't know if that was just a reference to like Star Wars when Luke uses the targeting computer in front of his face. I don't know, but it just seemed bizarre that it would have this physical thing when it has digital uh, readouts that are being uh, put into his head directly. Yeah, that is true. I hadn't even noticed that. I do wonder if it's like a Star Wars reference because they're in this like amniotic fluid type stuff, right? That's supposed to help with this linkage. Um, So I wonder like what added benefit that helmet actually would have. So anyway, so they uh, they fire, they miss. Shinji freaks out and he has to rush to put a new fuse in it or whatever the cartridge is that the, the positron rifle needs. Mm-hmm. And before he can uh, get it changed out, Ramel fires again, right? And then Ray, who actually had the harder job because it required more precision, jumps in the way with a big heat shield and saves Shinji's ass. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I do agree that her job is actually harder in this case, both because she has to know like when to kind of jump in and like lift the shield. And so she has to have these like fast reflexes. And also she needs a lot more uh, self-control 
and determination to stand there in front of this beam that is going to kill her within 17 seconds is how long the shield lasts. And so like, she needs to have so much more willpower and determination. Like if Shinji were in that role, he'd be out, man. Like I feel like he wouldn't mean to, but he'd just like get freaked out and he'd like get out of the way of the beam because it's just like natural human impulse, you you know? Where Shinji just has to like, when the things get lined up, he pulls a trigger. That's you, it. That's all he has to do. Where, I, I just don't understand where you guys are getting this from. They like very clearly say this requires <laughs> precision. And so you have to do this, Shinji, because like you're more aligned. But it's not even about any of his own behaviors, right? Like it's not about his, anything he's doing being precise, right? It's about him having this better linkage for whatever reason with his Eva. It's because Ray right? is like emotionally all over even, the place. But he's not even doing anything to like make this linkage happen. Like this Eva like yeah, liked him just, from the get-go, like protected him when this thing was going to fall on him. Like there was already this like innate linkage. It's the chosen one trope. Yeah. It's like Harry and Hermione. Hermione is definitely the more competent one, right? But Harry's like the chosen one. So even though he's not as competent, he has to do all of these like hard things that Hermione doesn't have to, right? There's a good parallel there. Because Hermione is not like stark like Ray is, but she is like hyper competent like Ray is. Okay, so Ray does her job and stands firm and shields Shinji. Shinji gets the second shot off and this time manages to connect with Ramael, taking it to the ground because he punctures the uh, the core, which is like a torus reactor, like a particle accelerator. So I assume as soon as that containment is breached, it's done. Like I assume it's gone brain dead essentially. Shinji freaks, not freaks out, like Shinji actually does an awesome thing and he springs into action to eject uh, Ray from her Ava, uh, eject the plug. And then once he's got the plug out using the Ava, he jumps out of his Ava and opens up the plug in the same kind of way that we just saw Gendo do in the last episode. And then they have this scene of bonding where Shinji is quite literally becoming Gendo in certain ways, which like in this way, it's a really good way. He's not becoming like emotionally distant or a terrible father figure. He's becoming someone who's focused on the things that matter and the people that matter to him. And it's a good example too. I mean, we've talked a lot about Shinji being this more emotionally kind of volatile character, right? He just feels things strongly. And this is a really good example of when those emotion-driven urges are really helpful and really important. Like he sprung into action because he was concerned for Ray's well-being, right? And that concern for her well-being might also have given him the willpower, the self-control, the self-discipline to like wrench this door open that's like burning hot, right? And withstand that physical pain in order to help this person that he cares about. And so maybe that is an example where his emotions are really serving him and serving the people around him. Yeah, you're super right. And then in that scene, like, he allows himself to cry. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also, but he's not, like, embarrassed about crying. It's like the focusing of what he needed to do focused his emotions in a way that he could understand them. He wasn't confused in that moment. Wow, that's brilliant. But Ray Ray is confused by the crying, right? Mm -hmm. She's literally asking him why he's crying. There's something interesting I noticed this time around. So there's this line that they translate to, I never know what to do in this situation. So she actually says something like, I never know what kind of face to make in this situation. Uh, I thought it was interesting because yeah. it's something that sometimes people do say in English more for like an awkward situation. Than or people this. with um, yeah. autism say that a lot, like where they don't right. know what to do with their facial expression. Like they don't know what kind of a like nonverbal or even verbal response they should make like it feels like everyone around them has some kind of social script and knows how to respond and they just like didn't get sent the script so they don't know what to do so it is interesting that that's like the translation so do we think ray has autism 
yeah, I, I think she's definitely a really strong and uh, other than sexualization, a really loving uh, portrayal of a character that's on the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, showing like the advantages she has because of it, but also when she becomes confused in her emotions, it is a crisis. She mm-hmm. has to, like, she doesn't know how to deal with it. She has to, maybe that it's so strong that it's overwhelming and it's hard to deal with. And it's yeah. actually interesting to think about the thing from the last episode when the Eva is, like, freaking out if that's, like, like an autistic meltdown or something, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. a thing where people with autism, you know, sometimes just get into the state where they're yelling and punching and whatever and have to be subdued until they calm down. Yeah, well, I mean, it's this complete, like, overload right of everything and and I do agree with you Alex too about I think this show in this episode like I guess I hadn't really put that together until like Ben kind of mentioned this in passing and then I was like oh maybe this is just confirmation bias but now I can go through and clearly identify these things that are all signs I think that she could be on the spectrum or likely is right she doesn't really have friends at school Um, When people try to approach her, they just kind of find it off-putting in some way and find it hard to connect with her. She seems fine with not having friends at school. Um, She also, if you notice, like, and really, like, take a fine green approach to dissecting her conversations with Shinji, she doesn't really have conversations with him in the way that we typically expect people to. So it's a lot of him asking her questions. She responds to the question. She does not ever ask him any questions back. This is a pattern that's pretty characteristic of people with autism, um, or even when given like bids, right? So like when we're assessing people for autism, what we even do is make it easier by like giving kids or teens like bids, we call Mm -hmm. them for conversation. So I might say something like, oh, I have a favorite animal. And so I'm setting this kid up to ask me, what's your favorite animal? Mm -hmm. And typically kids will do that. A kid with autism often does not because they don't really understand that that's like what's expected of them to do in that situation. So it's these like subtle differences, I Mm. think, in communication that you can see with her character as opposed to Shinji's conversations with anyone else in the show. I'm I'm thinking back to the thing from last episode now too, where after, you know, they have, their whole accidental boob grab thing, right? And she just gets stressed and leaves and, like, goes off to to work. And so he's, like, kind of falling behind, and you're like, oh, he's being, like, weird and shy and whatever, and then finally starts, like, talking to her again, and he's like, I'm sorry. She's like, for what? And, you know, he and maybe we think that, like, he's made things awkward and that she's, like, angry at him. She's like, oh, what? Like, you fell and you accidentally grabbed my boob. Like, (laughs) I know that it was And then we've just, like, gone to work. We're at work. Five meters apart from each other without talking. Yeah. (laughs) And she's so unabashed in that whole scene, right? Like, when her towel falls off, it's not like she tries to cover up. And, like, these are all, like, things we would do because we're aware of the social connotations of someone else seeing us naked. And to her, it's kind of just not even registered. And at first when I watched this, I was like, oh, she's just a cool girl who like doesn't care if people see her naked, you know? And then I was like, oh, like maybe it just didn't register to her that this is something that she should be concerned about, right? Mm -hmm. That some people would be concerned about, not even that you should be. Autistic pixie dream girl. For sure. But I think that she does like too, what I do like about this is that it really doesn't paint this like it's a difference, not like a deficit, right? There are clearly aspects of being an Eva pilot that she is particularly well suited towards. This kind of, we call it almost like sticky attention where it's this like hyper focus on like one or two things. And uh, people with autism will know and learn everything about those things, right? That's really helpful in a situation like this where being an Eva pilot really does take over your whole life, right? Yeah. 
I guess one more thing while we're talking about this, and there is that conversation with Shinji, I don't think we mentioned this earlier, but where she talks about being a pilot uh, to Eva being her, her link to the world. We've talked before about this creator, Ano, how he, um, so I'm assuming actually diagnosed, but at least self-diagnosed as kind of like autism or Asperger's or something, you know, obviously high-functioning autism. He's very successful, but he's described, I think, making anime as kind of his his way to communicate with the world that he doesn't feel very comfortable communicating in other ways but that creating anime is kind of his link to the world so i wonder if that's kind of him putting that that message in this this anime that for autistic people like him maybe their work is how they connect or something like that right yeah, and he, because we had talked about him speaking through Shinji, but I hadn't thought about that. Like he, you know, of course the character or the creator is kind of speaking through all of the characters, you know, if, especially if they're writing it, you know, that's not really what a female autistic person uh, sounds like. It's what he thinks they sound like, which may be a fair representation because he has this experience with himself and maybe with other people that he recognizes like, oh, maybe we're kind of alike, but he's definitely speaking through her. That's wild. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting parallel. Like when you pointed that out about this creator, like, I don't know, it makes a lot of sense to me. And and it is true that girls with autism often are diagnosed much later or often just don't go diagnosed. Um, so we see this big disconnect and boys are much more likely to be diagnosed with autism than girls are. Um, and part of it could be that there's this like discrepancy in who gets diagnosed. Girls with autism often develop differently and they present these symptoms differently than boys do. Their language skills are often a lot better. Um, and so that is something that is associated with better long-term outcomes and also makes them less likely to be referred to get assessed, right? They're more likely to just kind of be interpreted as these kind of like quirky, socially awkward or uncomfortable girls. Brilliant. I was, I, I wanted to ask you about something like that, but you hit it on the head. Um, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it was interesting, too, thinking about it that way, because before, like, I'm like, there's something about, like, Ray, where she is different from other people. And I think previously, I'd just been thinking of it as, like, she's this highly traumatized teenage girl, right? So she's probably showing a lot of blunted affect. She, like, never smiles. Like, these could all be signs and, like, symptoms of, like, trauma exposure. And it makes sense, too, the more I think about it and the more we all talk about it, that there could be some of this, like, spectrum-y stuff that is also tying into a lot of these differences in her behavior that we see. Right. So, so Shinji tells her to smile, something that women love to be told. Yeah, by women men. love it when men tell them to smile. Uh-huh. <laughs> so she's like, what should I do with my face? And he's like, I don't know, you could like try smiling. And, and then there's this interesting moment where she yeah. looks in his eyes, she sees Gendo, and then she smiles. So it's, is she smiling because Shinji told her to? Or, you know, that she actually is kind of feeling happy in this moment? Or is she smiling because she's thinking of Gendo. It's interesting because I guess I had interpreted that as she's like, okay, I need to smile. What's something that makes me smile? Like almost mm. this very like analytical approach, oh. right? Of like, oh, Gendo makes me smile. Let me think of him. Oh, like Shinji is like Gendo in this moment. And so the smile itself felt very genuine to me, but I felt like the process of getting there was very analytical. Interesting. And that is the one time we've seen her smile before is when Shinji is spying in on that conversation with Gendo yeah man there is a lot of duality in this show and maybe that's maybe that's part of its charm is that uh like you just said she may be a a, a portrayal of a young autistic girl but she might also Mm -hmm. be a portrayal of a uh a young teenage girl with trauma yeah and so because 
it doesn't outright state either. It can kind of be both because it's a story and it can draw yeah. parallels to like some of the similarities in the, uh, mm-hmm. the behavior of those individuals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even if I she's mean, autistic, she's probably a traumatized autistic Yeah, probably. I mean, these aren't mutually exclusive things. Yeah. You can, like, still experience trauma even if you have autism, right? I, I mean, I wish there were some disorder you could have that would protect you from ever experiencing trauma, but that's well, yeah. one of those that, uh, you know, it's not a rule out, we would say. But it could be both, right? And one of the things that in psychology we always, like, talk about a lot is making sure that we're considering all of the potential things that could explain the behaviors we're seeing. So you want to do, like, a lot of differential diagnosis. So you want to, like, rule things out. Like, well, this other thing could explain it, but here's why I don't think it's that and why I think it's this thing. Um, So in this case, like, is this different? Is this, like, emotional blunting and, like, Uh, The fact that she doesn't really emote facial expressions, like, is that because of autism? Is that because of trauma? It could be either. When we were watching this and talking earlier, you had mentioned, you know, that Shinji is maybe portraying some symptoms Mm -hmm. of what we would call hyperreactive PTSD. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of Mm -hmm. when you get startled easily and like want to avoid a situation and feel a lot of fear about it and things like that. But then you're saying there's also this hyper-reactive mm-hmm. version, right? Yeah, so there can be this, like, following, like, a trauma exposure and in, like, PTSD, a lot of the symptoms of it are um, what we call, like, hyper-vigilant symptoms. So, like, having an enhanced startle response, so you're, like, startling to things that maybe other people wouldn't even. And when you startle, it's, like, stronger. You're more likely to, like, become, like, just kind of emotionally dysregulated and become more reactive to stress. And this happens, like, usually immediately following a trauma for almost everyone. And what to PTSD is whether that persists past a certain time or not. But all of the symptoms of PTSD are actually things that every, almost everyone experiences following a trauma. It's just about how long they last in determining whether it's PTSD or not. But then we see this kind of interesting switch over time, especially if someone experiences repeated traumas, where instead of becoming like hyper-reactive to stress, they become hypo or like under-reactive to stress. So they stop responding to other things that people would find stressful around them. So your like stress response system can become dysregulated in either way, where it becomes like more sensitive in the short term or over the long term, like after a lot of trauma, which Ray definitely has, right? Her life is threatened repeatedly. You actually see this blunting response where suddenly the system becomes so overwhelmed, you just stop responding. And so it's interesting seeing this juxtaposition of like Shinji and Ray, both because they've been in this position for like different periods of time. And it's this kind of like parallel with this like hyper reactivity that then can turn into this like blunted response over time. Yeah. And they both live on their own, which is highly, uh, well, not changing now, but before he moved into Tokyo 3, he was living on his own uh, uh, with no parental supervision, which is highly bizarre for uh, a 14-year-old. Yes. So true. That's awesome. But so it's, they both have this dysregulated um, stress response and they're going in mm-hmm. kind of the two classic directions, hyper uh, uh, vigilance and hypovigilance. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being here. This has been <laughs> just a blast. You have a carte blanche. Any episode you want to step oh in God. on, you are the guest. And even if we have a guest, you can be a fourth, fifth, <laughs> doesn't matter. I love it. This is so much fun to talk about with you guys. Thanks so much for having me on. So do we have a cliffhanger for the next episode? Will we have another guest? Will she return? Who's coming to visit? I guess I'll try to line up a guest for next week. uh, And that can be our cliffhanger, whether I succeed or not. (laughs) And if you don't, 
something horrible will happen. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> oh, and I did want to mention before we go that uh, there was a shot of Pen Pen in this episode. He knows the city's going to go dark. He's outside watching over the landscape, waiting for it to happen. The stars above Tokyo 3, you know? You don't get to see it too often. And light pollution. What, what if I say pen and you say pen, and then together we say pals, pod. <laughs> Wait, or no, because there's three people. Okay, I'll do pen, you can do pen, then you can do pals, and then we can all say pod. Pen. Pen. Pals. Pod. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> That's our new sign-off. Uh, send us an email. Penpenpalspod at gmail.com. Yeah, be the first. Tweet at us, I think. I don't know that we have a Twitter, but tweet it. Yeah, Whatever. Yeah. Tweet out Pen Pen Pals Pod. <laughs> yeah. The benefit of like being the first person to email or tweet at Pen Pen Pals, this is so early in the show, you are guaranteed to get a response. Yeah. If you're interesting enough, you could be a guest. Who knows? All right. Well, until next time.